According to the Mental Health Society of Ghana, one out of every five Ghanaians have mental disorder in some way or some form. Some of these mental health disorders may range from schizophrenia, bipolar, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is PTSD, just to mention a few. So to mark the Mental Health Awareness Month, which is celebrated in October every year, we speak to Ms. Isinamdra, an advocate for the Mental Health Society of Ghana and a person who lives with bipolar disorder. In the first session of this discussion, Ms. Isinam speaks on what bipolar disorder is, some triggers that led to the discovery of the disorder, and we finally wrapped this episode off by going through life with what she calls her invisible suitcase. Please stay with us on this one as it promises to be very educative and so revealing. This is the 2-1 show. Hello everyone and welcome to the 2-1 show. A show for the 21st century youth where we discuss productivity, wellness, and human condition. Can you subscribe and leave us a review in the direction to find your podcast? Also, send us a mail at info at the 21show.com. You follow us on any of our social media platforms at the 21 Show. Thank you. Hello, Essie. Hello, Teresa. Good evening and welcome to the T1 Show. Good evening. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I hope you can all hear me clearly. Yes, please. I can hear you very well. Can you give us a very brief introduction about yourself? Okay, so my name is Esnamdra and I am 27 years old. I'm currently the project coordinator for Mental Health Society of Ghana, which is a non-profit organization into mental health advocacy. That's MESOC for short. And I studied in, in French and linguistics in the University of Ghana. I have a bachelor's of arts degree from there. And I live with, let's just say I have lived experience with bipolar disorder. I don't like seeing in my mental health journey and my advocacy, I used to say I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but now I like to say I have lived experience with bipolar disorder because it is more um, it is more and more or less, let's say the stigma is less when you say it like that. But that's just a brief introduction about me. I know you asked me more questions about bipolar disorder. Sure, sure. Thank you so much for Thank you um, being here. We are so glad to have you here with us this evening. So let's just zoom in. I remember the first day you went talked about bipolar disorder. I was like, ah, what is that? Can you please tell us if someone if someone says bipolar disorder, what is it all about? What is it? Tell us something about bipolar. Okay, so bipolar disorder is a mental health condition. It's a mood disorder. I like to say it's a two-in-one sickness. So two-in-one in the sense that we have the mania aspect of 
being bipolar and we have the depression. So when you are bipolar, there are times that you could have manic episodes as a result of the mania and you could have depressive episodes because of the depression. And when you are you are manic, your mood is usually hyper. So you have high energy levels, you may have difficulty sleeping, you engage in risky behavior like being reckless and um, overspending and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and excessive generosity you just okay. you just become very very careless and you are on top of the world you think that you are like you are in charge you are in control then we have the depressive aspects when there's depression depression people think oh depression is all about sadness but when it comes to the depressive aspects we are talking about um inability to do certain things that you once enjoyed or you you are supposed to do so we have issues with hygiene so when you are depressed you may find it difficult to bath brush your teeth may not want to eat you just withdraw and isolate from the normal things which everybody which under normal circumstances the normal things which you once enjoyed doing okay the ones you enjoy doing and the ones that on a normal basis everybody does and is supposed to do so if you 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 usually like to go to work you may not feel like going to work you may not feel like going to school just isolate and withdraw you also have suicidal thoughts you may have suicidal thoughts you may also have um trouble sleeping is it that you're having too much need for sleep or you are not sleeping at all so the symptoms are a lot the signs and symptoms are a lot they vary for everybody because in as much as we are all human beings our systems are all different and so like for example in bipolar disorder the mania aspects we have mm-hmm. something called hypersexuality one of the signs and symptoms it's not everybody okay. who is bipolar who is hypersexual do you get what i'm saying yes yeah, sure. so it's it's like let's say malaria not everyone who has malaria usually feels cold so mm-hmm. bipolar disorder is if i should talk about it like in terms of it's a, it, like a physical illness. Let's just say it's like a physical illness that affects the brain, your mental health, your mind, that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. So um, I think research has made it known that one out of every four people lives with a form of mental disease. Yes. And so yes. Um, this evening, I think we are really going to have a very amazing time. We are, we are going to delve into your life, how you are living with mm-hmm. it, how you are managing it and everything. Ace, I want to find out how did it was that do we, do we um, have people who were born with it and how did yours start actually? Okay, so this with this particular question, mm-hmm. it's very... Um, it's a very interesting question, even with the response, because um, when you you read about bipolar disorder, sometimes they come out they 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 haven't been able to find what actually causes bipolar disorder, but they have come to realize that there are um, 
there could be genetic factors. For example, if I come from a family that um, people have had bipolar disorder before, mm-hmm. there's a high possibility that I could be bipolar. But that's the genetic part. But another thing too is that if I also come from that kind of family and there are environmental factors that support me. So let's say I come from a family that is very supportive at church. They are supportive. I have good friends. The bipolar gene will not manifest itself. So that should tell you that there could be people walking around who could have like the tendency to be bipolar, but they have actually not because of the circumstances surrounding them. It hasn't manifested. Okay. And there are people too that as a result of um, certain circumstances in life, so the environmental factors, so for example, a broken heart and trauma, so many things that could trigger the gene to manifest itself. Yeah. Okay. So how did you start when when did you find out that when were you diagnosed of um bipolar disorder? Were were you was it from infancy? When when did you find out? Okay, so I was diagnosed at the age of twenty one and this was in twenty fifteen. I was about to enter my third year at the university. Okay. And you know, when you are in your your mental health journey and you're on your road to recovery, you begin to at times you may think that you you know when the bipolar started, when you think it could have started. But we have something we call triggers and stresses. So stresses okay. are like things that could and um, build up. <laughs> Like just build up the accumulation of it could one day result in the illness manifesting. And the trigger is what trigger is like what sets the thing ablaze. So for example, not for example, for my case, mm-hmm. um as a child growing up, I battled with inferiority complex. And okay. because of this inferiority complex, <laughs> I also started having childhood trauma. Mm-hmm. So because of this childhood trauma, inferiority complex, it led to me making certain decisions in life. And by the time I was 21, I was in a relationship in which because of my inferiority complex, childhood trauma insecurities, mm-hmm. I decided to exit from the relationship. Okay. And when I exited, I thought I was protecting myself. And I thought I was smart, like, oh, I break up, I'll do the breakup first. I'm I'm smart, I'll be safe. So when I left the relationship, I realized that I was like depressed, I was grieving, I was hurting because I had built my world around this person that I was dating and it was very difficult. I couldn't really share what I was going through with a professional or anything. I didn't even know that there were professionals I could have seen on on campus at the counseling placement center. So it's like someone has shot, like let's say, for example, you shot yourself and you are just bleeding and bleeding. You don't try to stop the bleeding. It becomes too late and then you lose so much blood. You could just like pass out. So that's what happened to me. So by the time I school, the semester was done and I had come home, I was fully blown depressed. And it started making me have um, 
hallucinations. So the first psychiatrist I even saw thought I had schizophrenia. And mm-hmm. he thought this because at the time I was hearing voices, I was in a lot of fear. I, I, there were three things like I always, I was always hearing and afraid of like fear of not graduating, mm-hmm. fear of dying, and then fear of going mad. So he, the, the psychiatrist put me on medication and it was very difficult for me to accept that, oh, okay, now I have been diagnosed with a lifelong mental illness and I'll need to take medication for it for the rest of my life to be able to be as um, as equal to my friends as I want to. And it was um, it was painful because I was like, ah, God, like, why could you have allowed this to happen to me? All my friends are living their lives and me, I'm here taking medication if I want to be as okay as I wanted to be. It was, you know, it was very difficult. That, um, it sounded like and felt like a death sentence. Okay. Very, very much like a death sentence. And I didn't even know at the time, I didn't know people, there were people out there with mental health conditions. I didn't know that about celebrities, like even the owner of CNN, Ted Turner. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know he had bipolar disorder further before. I didn't even know like with a sickness like this, you can still go back to school, go back to work, live, thrive and all that. I didn't know about that. So it's uh, this was six years ago and <laughs> it was it was it was very painful for me. It felt like the end of my life and I did not want to accept that status. I felt like no, if this is what they are saying about me. I can't just sit down and agree. I felt like maybe even the doctor was just saying something to make money. It can't be true that. And you know, there's this stigma in Ghana, in Africa, when you have a mental health condition, it's like, oh, this thing, it could be someone who is doing you or a spiritual or something. So I could fight this. Like, I didn't need drugs to fight it. And so for a year, I... One year, I refused to take the medication. Okay. And after the one year, by that time, I was ending my third year. I had a series of episodes. We call it when it's like when a sickness comes back and it comes back harder. We call it a relapse. So I had several relapses, which caused me to have my relationships with people affected. So I started insulting some of my friends. My relationships then started getting broken. I wasn't going for lectures. I was spending my money at the time. My priority was to redecorate my room. So I neglected my 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 studies. And I because of that I failed three courses. And I it meant I had to reset those three courses when I came back from my year abroad all because bipolar disorder, like all other mental health conditions, can affect your sense of judgment and thought pattern. So what I needed to do, I wasn't doing them. And I was just like messed up. I felt like worthless. I didn't know who to. Like I had doctors and everything, but I knew that when I go back to them, they'll just tell me, take your medicine, you'll be fine. It's like malaria medicine. If you don't take it, you'll get worse. If you don't take it, well, the sickness will come back and come back harder. So I just wanted, <laughs> I was just like in the middle, like I just didn't want to accept what but, um, doctors were saying. If I understand what you're saying very well, it means we could have people living with bipolar and they could be living with that for years, even from maybe infancy. 
so let's say like 30 40 years um, yes until so, there is yes. there are some triggers yes so it's like um like i was telling you if let's mm-hmm. say somebody is born with let's say a bipolar gene in in their system like the way people are born with cancer genes and those kind of things they may live their life and usually bipolar disorder manifests itself let's say early 20s but some people get like very few a few people find out let's say in their teens you know and also when someone is a child it's very difficult to tell whether this behavior the person is exhibiting it because they are a child or they are being stubborn or they are just being a rebellious teenager or it's a sickness so it's very very hard to really tell that's why most people end up getting diagnosed in their early 20s and and stuff like that okay and there are also people who are also walking around so for instance i ended up at a doc before i ended up at the doctor um after i i told you i was depressed heartbroken and came home mm-hmm. that vacation we went to some number of churches we prayed i felt better but it was like i needed a, a lasting solution it's not okay. like church wasn't a lasting solution but something that really really gets me back on track and so i ended up finding a, my parents ended up with ended up finding a psychologist in our area and she was the one who said look you don't have even at my first diagnosis was schizophrenia because they thought I was the doctor felt I was hearing voices so I'm schizophrenic so I'm not bipolar but she said look looking at your senses I think you have bipolar disorder so sometimes it even takes years for the doctor to know the particular diagnosis because some of the signs and symptoms of the illness they are similar and we keep changing you know Okay. If today I'm depressed and I go and sit in front of my psychologist mm-hmm. and next time I go, I have another attitude. It's, it, they will just have to keep observing and observing for some time before they can come out with a particular diagnosis. But it doesn't mean that they will not tell you, they, they will not give you things to do or medications to help you as the journey is ongoing. So I am, um, with what we are saying, I am concerned yeah. with the fact that, you see, we are living in... Um, some kind of world right now where um, people get easily depressed. For instance, someone has completed an invest, the person has completed his or her national service, the person is at home, the person isn't working, um, life has been tough for the person. And so the person starts experiencing some symptoms of depression and all that. And um, they may just ignore it. Their friends or the family of the people will just say, oh, this is a normal depression that comes out from um, completing school and then being yeah. at home and people easily ignore those things because oh it's just a matter of time the person will just come over maybe the person just got to write very soon i'm just imagining when this heartbreak of yours happened and maybe families and friends would be like oh breaking hearts there is normal you just come you just overcome it you just get to write very soon and at what stage or at what point did they really say that okay so this is not just a, a, a heartbreak thing and it is really going fine so we have to go to an extreme or find a solution to that problem okay so the thing is that i was a very private person at the time so 
Like, you may know me, but you don't really know what I'm going through unless I tell you. So I, when I was in school and I was depressed and all that, my parents didn't know because I didn't tell them. When I came home to, I kept whatever I was going through to myself. But they just realized that my behavior was very odd. Like me wanting to stay in bed all day, me not wanting to bath, me hearing their voices, being afraid. There were times that I would even say, I want to go out naked, you see, and these were some of the things that were frightening because they knew that's not how I am. So, and you should also like look at duration. I always say that duration is very important. You know, everybody goes through stuff. So you didn't pass your exam. You get depressed. You get sad. But how long is this sadness or depression extending for? Is it for weeks? Is it for months? That's when we should like all pay attention that mm, something must really, really be going on wrong. So for instance, I've had a couple of people around me who have been um, bereaved. They, okay. they, their mothers passed away. I've been very concerned about them because everybody deals with grief different differently. So from time to time, I send maybe encouraging messages. I'll call to check up on them. Like, And I don't just ask, how are you? And leave it there. I prove, like, ask other questions and even study, like, the mood, the tone, you know, sound of their voice, like, <laughs> you know, check, check the same things to know, to see whether the person is as, as stable as you want them to be. Don't yes, just force the person to opinion. Yes. What we do here in our culture is, how are you? I am fine. That's the, that's where it ends. We don't. And if you don't, yeah, if you don't probe, you never know what someone is going through. That's how therapists are able to make progress with their clients, psychologists. When you go for a session, they probe. They don't just say, how was school? They'll keep asking questions and it's like digging. You keep digging and digging to find the roots of the problem. And even when I was a teacher, sometimes I, I... I wasn't the best teacher, but there were a few students that I used to ask questions like privately. If I see that they are not doing well in class, I'll call them what's going on. Then I find out that, oh, things are going on at home. That's why this is this is what is happening. There was a time a student of mine came to school with her face scratched. Her father had physically abused her. But mm-hmm. <laughs> if you are a teacher and you see the student's face scratched and you ignore you just ignored like some very vital piece of information. You see, so it's it comes. We all have to be very, very like observant, just watching things that are going on. Okay. Like for instance, I don't pick when I'm depressed. Most of the time, I don't pick calls. Okay. So my boyfriend knows that if he, I'm not picking his his call, he will call my mother or something. Find out from okay. So it's just being watchful, like being your brother's by watching everything. Thing, okay okay so um you were you actually discovered it um when you were 21 years old yes. and you're now 27 so like six yes. to seven years now yes. i want i want to find out if um bipolar western with age does it western with age if bipolar does work western with age as you are growing western. yes does it okay. western with age no bipolar disorder doesn't western with age it rather worsens when you don't you don't stick to your treatment, you don't take okay. your medications, you don't do what your psychologist tells you to do, you don't um, observe your triggers and your stresses, you don't um, 
do self-care you know it's like if you as an individual you have to examine yourself all the time people always ask me like what like what's my secret what's my secret because i have other friends who are bipolar we are all taking our medicine but they see that i am thriving differently and my biggest secret is god all the things that i mentioned previously they are good but my faith and all this makes everything on another level. So okay. for instance, my medication, before I take it, I always say, I change this medicine to the blood of Jesus. Before I go and see my doctors, I pray before I go that God will give them the wisdom to counsel me in a way that would help me. I saw a, a t-shirt on Instagram. They, they wrote, I have, Jesus, I, I, I have Jesus and I see a therapist too. It's okay to have Jesus. No, it's rather, it's okay to have Jesus and see a therapist too. Mm-hmm. You see, it's having balance, combining the two. So it doesn't worsen with age. Even it's like the more, the more you, you combine all these things, self-care, taking on medication, um, having faith, being positive, doing confessions, doing daily confessions. Some people call it affirmations. Exercising, eating well, you 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 realize that after some years, you even have fewer episodes. Do you get it? So, for instance, for the past two years, I didn't have frequent episodes. This year has been a very turbulent and challenging year for me because I've had a lot of things on my plate and things hitting me from different sides. So. It's been challenging for me. So I have had to like re-strategize how I do my things and how I perceive things. If I need help, I ask for help. So it doesn't worsen. It's, it's, it's rather worsen based on what the individual is, is doing or okay. not doing. Okay. Essie, I, yeah. with all these that you said, okay, I want to find out if, um, you can actually prevent bipolar disorder can you prevent, prevent. yes is there a way of preventing <laughs> you know i always say you know every human being has mental health every human being has mental health just like the way we have a physical body we have physical health which means that sickness sicknesses can attack us from time to time we have malaria a flu or something so that's how because we have a brain we all have mental health. So our mental health is like a sheet of paper. If you take like an A4 sheet of paper, when you worry, you are anxious, you stress yourself, you overstress yourself out. All these things is like crumpling that sheet of paper. Then at the end of the day, a doctor may tell you, a psychiatrist may tell you, look, this is your paper. Eh? We need medication to make the paper look as good as new. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we may need the, uh, these medications to make this paper as good as new. So the, my, the point that I'm trying to make is that <laughs> bipolar disorder, if I look back in time when I was 21, if I hadn't stressed myself out by being worried, anxious, I wouldn't have gotten to this level because our mental health is like a mark. Like, you know, a drink mug that we drink tea in. If it breaks, it shatters. The medications are what you need to um, just make things better for you. So at the end of the day, I think that it is preventable right from childhood. Look, if I had been told that, you know, if I had maybe been seeing a therapist from childhood, I don't think I would be bipolar today. 
You get okay. it. So it is preventable, preventable mental health conditions. I personally think it is preventable if you, you do, you, you choose to not be negative. You choose to be positive all the time. You choose to, um, you choose not to be. So it's like a decision. Choosing not to be worried. Choosing not to be anxious. If you know you are dealing with something, you don't wait till it gets very bad before you open up and talk to people. So many people and um, complete suicide not because they are weak. That's why we have every September we call something. We call that month World Suicide Prevention Day. Well, it can mm-hmm. be prevented. If okay. we start doing our job from the beginning, everybody personally, you choosing not to. So if I had to go back in time, I would, this inferiority complex I would, I was dealing with, I would have opened up to someone about it right from the beginning. I would have said, Oh, I want to see a psychologist. I didn't even know that you could see a psychologist. If I, I, I used to think that you only see psychologists when you have a problem. You can okay. see them when you don't even have a problem, but you just talk about life in general. You know, it's therapeutic. Doing certain things is a form of de-stressing. When we go out like every day, we have no idea the the amount of stress we put on ourselves. So when you talk to someone and put it out, and even talking to your religious leaders, pastors, those in the mosque, all their friends, you know, opening up, it helps you to prevent yourself from doing certain things you see so if you don't if you don't realize that (laughs) people think that mental health you know you were saying one in four people will experience a mental health condition Mm -hmm. in their lifetime Mm -hmm. the world health organization is the one that estimates that can happen because one in four means that if you take four people every one of them we experience mental health condition and life. And for this life, life can be difficult. No jokes. Mm-hmm. Whether you serve God or you don't serve God, life can be very difficult at times. So you need to just realize certain things. Don't be hard on yourself. If you need help, ask for help so that you do not end up becoming that one in four people. It's very possible to prevent that from happening. But if you choose to just like not talk to anybody, isolate yourself, just make yourself an island, make yourself an island, don't deal with things when they happen, you know. And we too, we on the other side, like we as friends and family, mm-hmm. when, for instance, the example you were given that someone didn't pass their exam. As a friend mm-hmm. or family member around such a person, you should also be checking up on the person. You shouldn't okay. just leave the person to deal with what they are going through. You see, check up on the person. Maybe you can even take the person out. And sometimes not even talking about the issue makes some people feel better. Like some people don't want to be reminded of what is going on. So yes, everybody in my house has told me I didn't pass the exam. The last person I need is to also come in, like remind me of this. Maybe let's go out, let's walk by the beach. Self-care doesn't have to be expensive all the time. Sometimes taking a walk can even help with the person, just chatting, laughing, and doing ordinary things. Or sending inspirational messages, you know, sometimes even going on social media. I, I told um, a friend of mine that TikTok is good for people who are depressed. When you go there, you laugh, sign, you'll be happy. You see, so it is preventable. It is. Okay, so um, checking up on people regularly, as Essie is saying, and yes, with our, especially with our friends and loved ones, you might never know yes. what someone is going yes. through. And even though people may ask, like, uh, hard guy, hard, hard lady, hard guy. But then let's just try and be that trusted friend that they could 
Yeah, and just talking, me. like talking, just talking in in general. Like you, you don't always have to start from the beginning of the problem. Like, hey, so since you failed your exams, how do you feel? No, you can start from somewhere that doesn't have to deal with exams. Something a know? person may be interested in. Yeah, or some, like just like start from somewhere, you know. It's like trying to date someone. <laughs> I know a lot of people, those usually who start from, you know, sometimes you're walking on the road, someone sees you, stops their car and says, I love you, I want to marry you. We don't really mind those kind of people. Okay. It is people who sh- who sh- extend their hand of friendship, like, oh, how are you? What, like showing an interest in a person. You know, those are the people who usually get that kind of attention and they open up. You know, and I'm not, I'm also want to also talk about like childhood. Look, as a child, mm-hmm. yeah, I had people talk to me. But I was dealing with a lot of things that nobody knew about. You see, my little mind was processing a lot of things. No, nobody ever told me I was ugly. Nobody ever told me <laughs> I was fat, you know, all these kind of things. Mm-hmm. But I was dealing with a lot. Just this Saturday, I went for an event. And, you know, two people who, I don't know whether it's what, out of love or what, but they told me that, hey, you have gained weight. Too. Look, I came home, eh? And I processed it. Hey, they mm. said I've gained weight. And me, I'm into mental health. Mm-hmm. I know that that is body shaming, mm-hmm. you know. And if I don't, I didn't have the kind of experience and resilience I have. What if I came home that night and I decided to drink something to harm myself mm-hmm. and that these people didn't even know what they did to me affecting you. So we should also be careful of yeah, how we speak to people. people sometimes, how we treat mm. people. Whether you know them or you don't know them, little, little things can scar people for life. And it can even be the triggers to... Yeah, it can trigger someone to, you know, that's what I'm saying when I was a teacher. I really wish I had done things a little more differently because you have the opportunity to touch lives and you never know whether what you are doing will, will trigger an illness in the person. And you know, mental health conditions are not like malaria, that if someone is having malaria, the person will be running a temperature or something. Mental health conditions, you don't see physical signs and symptoms. Okay. So the person looks like nothing has happened. The person looks like the way they I was about to ask that, actually. Yeah, you never know. Okay, so I want us to also um look, we want to go into the treatment. But then before that, um, in your earlier statement, you were, you were, you talked about how you insulted some of your colleagues and um, yes. some of your mates in school. How, how, how did you get them back? Especially those friends that you insulted. How did you get them back after, um, you knew it, it was just an episode and let's say you recovered from that. How did you get those friends back? You know, human beings, eh, we, we, we look at trust a lot. When you break someone's trust, you have to end the trust back. Okay. And I had to realize that I made a mistake and I needed to apologize and move on. Not everybody like just forgave me and said, Oh, be my friend again. No, not everybody just did that. It it's it takes time also for those people I hate to heal. It also took time for me to want to change myself and be a better person. And so these people, 
I prayed for them. Most of the time, I prayed for them. So God to touch their hearts so that they'll forgive me. And I minded my own business. People have no idea how minding your own business can just do a whole lot. I don't mean mind your own business, like, like don't talk to anybody, but just do what you have been called to do. Just do the right thing. Just if you know you have apologized, you have done everything, just leave everything to God. So when I traveled from my year abroad, I just decided to focus on uh, getting my GPA back, my grade points average back higher. I came back to Ghana. I made sure that I restart those three courses. I graduated. And then after national service, I got into mental health advocacy full time. And so when I was doing those things, you know, people were seeing me on TV, radio, social media. I guess then they started realizing, some of these friends started realizing that, oh, <laughs> what I did, I didn't do it because I intentionally did it, but because I was sick and I did some of the things that I did. So some of them will, will comment, oh, I'm proud of you. Some of them will say, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm happy you are doing this. I'm happy for you and all that. So that's when I realized that I'm making a change. But not everybody would get a chance that I had. I never knew God would give me an opportunity like this to sort of make a public I'm sorry to everybody. So for people who have hurt people, like if you have a condition or whatever and you've hurt people, just say you're sorry and then just change. You know, when you change, when you change, you become a better person. It's the best way to prove yourself, prove that you are a better person, you have changed, you are on treatment, you are on your road to recovery and you can do this. So you shouldn't like take it personal, take it personal. And those people to, you know, anyone who has an open mind will realize that <laughs> when you someone has a mental health condition, they are not really in full control of sometimes what they do. You know, there are times that when I'm depressed, I can't really do anything. And my boyfriend like this understands that and all he does is to be supportive and be there for me, you know. But if you want to... Um, be logical. You know, some people try to make things logical. And eh? you have a mental condition, so what? So I ask you to do this, you will not do it. They have no idea. You know, being depressed is like being in a hole. It can take you weeks and months for you to get out of that hole. But people don't understand it. There, you see. Okay. So that's how it is. Okay. So um, we'll be rounding up very soon. We have a couple of questions here, and okay. But before that, we were talking about um how when is it coming to TV? When is it coming on TV? And then you started this whole program, this whole advocacy and everything. I I just want to know this: how has it been? How has life actually been from there? How has there been a lot of stigmatization? Because I I don't know if everyone with or everyone in this condition would want to come out publicly for everyone to know I live with this. I have this. How has this stigmatization be at your end ever since today coming out and making people know about this diseases? Oh, sorry, this disorder. Okay, so first of all, I always tell people, look, mental health advocacy is not for everyone. The fact that you have a condition doesn't mean you must be a mental health advocate. And you can also be a mental health advocate even if you don't have a mental health condition. So you even interviewing me, you don't have a condition. This is also a form of mental health advocacy. And, you know, stigma. I, you see, I told you I was done with my national service. Mm -hmm. When I was done with my national service, I was actually trained as a champion by 
um, some people from UK. It was a time to change global projects. So they call us champions, which means all we have to do is to use our lived experience as a testimony to win people to make them understand that mental health conditions are real, they can be managed, they can you can live a normal life, that kind of thing. But I was a secret mental health advocate. So from 2019 till um, 2020, March 2019 till early 2020, I was a secret mental health advocate in the sense that okay. I go and do events. We call it social contact events. Like I go to places, share my story, but I don't go on social media to like, Sorry, I don't let people I work with. So for instance, I blocked all those. When I go and work somewhere, I block like management and those people I work with from seeing that this is what I do because I knew there was stigma. I had heard about stigma, but I never personally experienced this thing of stigma. So in November 2019, I got fired from my job because I opened up to one of my bosses and where I work that the reason why they may have seen me those of at a couple of meetings is because I have a condition. I live very far away. Mm-hmm. We close at from work at 2.30. We can't go home. We are supposed to stay till 6.30 for a series of meetings. I'm getting home like 9.30 because I live somewhere. I was living around Afghania at the time. And so I need to take my medication early so that I can, the medication can work throughout the night. I wake up in the morning, less stress. So even as I was working there, I knew that this job wasn't right for me. Okay. It was killing me. And I, that's when I decided, look, <laughs> since the ladies, the boss is asking me, why am I dozing off? I told them within yeah, 24 hours. Yeah, she told all the members of management. So I was called for a meeting and they said, oh, what's going on? What did I tell my one of my boss? I told her, this is my story. I take medication. Um, I've been managing this condition for about four years at a time. But it's like I wasn't good for their brand. <laughs> and they were also, you know, I was thinking that because I had been doing mental health advocacy, everybody would laugh and accept me for what I am doing, who I am. I didn't think it was a big deal at the time. So when they fired me, when COVID started last year in March, I was like, wow, I'm unemployed. I'm unemployed for some time now. Why don't I start my YouTube channel? I'd always wanted a place where I can talk about mental health, share my story, be myself. And I started my YouTube channel and I started getting um, speaking engagements from all over the world. I started um, doing virtual events with the Time to Change program because we couldn't go for physical events anymore. So that's when I, I became extra, extra confident and I wasn't afraid to be stigmatized anymore or discriminated. But it doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that um, stigma isn't around. There are lots of times that when I'm I, I'm doing certain things, I I always because of what happened to me at my previous workplace, I always bear it in mind that look, the fact that you're an advocate to come on TV doesn't mean that people <laughs> will always love and accept you because of it. so and I also try not to um you know that's why I was telling you I have lived experience. I don't like saying I was diagnosed because it comes with some sort of, we have something called self-stigma. So it's like mm-hmm. you yourself, you nobody has stigmatized you yet, but you are stigmatizing against your own self. So I try to live a very normal life. I don't even remember that I have a condition. I don't think about it. I just take my medication, act like everybody else. I don't really, apart from the work I have to do in mental health advocacy, I don't even think about it. 
the stigma. And look, I'm telling you, stigma, if I didn't have the kind of support around me at the time I was stigmatized, I could have broken down because it, it, it shattered me. I had never <laughs> sat down in front of a group of people and felt like a sword was driven right through my heart. And even after I got fired, it took a while before I got paid. You know, it, it came with some sort of anxiety, stress, trauma. You keep calling the organization. They will, they will not give you feedback. You know, it was drama. So I have a friend in another organization and he was saying he doesn't want to come on my YouTube because of where he's working. I was like, that's okay. Like, I don't even want you to go through that trouble because Ghana, we've made some progress in mental health advocacy, but we have not come to the level where it's like abroad where you can go and tell your boss you have a condition. No, not yet. Mm -hmm. So I understand if you don't want to come out publicly. And I have also, as a young mental health advocate, I have also learned from my mistakes. We keep learning as you go on. And I was trained. So I didn't just come out, boom, like I'm doing mental health advocacy. I was trained and informed about stigma. I remember they told me in my training that nobody should be made to feel worthless or isolated because of a mental health condition. So when they fired me, I kept remembering that. And I remember I, I was, I did a video where I said, rejection doesn't mean you are good, not good enough. It means the other person feels notice what you have to offer. So when I go fight, those things played in my mind. But if I didn't have all this kind of training and support, it wouldn't have been easy for me. So before anyone wants to come out publicly, it's good, it's wonderful, it's nice to have a face behind these things. We want more people to become advocates, but you should really think about it twice. Because my, I had people telling like my father that, oh, if I'm doing this mental health advocacy, I might not get married, I might not get a job, but you see, it was a calling. I had to make my own decision and go with it. And thankfully, through all that hard work, I got a job with Mental Health Society of Ghana in December last year and got that. So it's, it's worth it being an advocate because after some time, it's, it's, it feels liberating. It's therapeutic. It boosts your confidence. And you, you look back and you'll be surprised at how far you come. It's worth it and it pays too. So. Anyone wants to give it. I'm just letting them know the pros and cons about this mm. whole mental health advocates thing. And that is all for this episode. Kindly subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already. Leave us a review on any Apple device or the Apple Podcast website. A link will be shared in the show notes. You can follow the Two One Show on any social media: Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the Two One Show. If you've got anything to share with us, future topics, conundrum or question, productivity tip, kindly send all of that an audio file MP3 format to the Two One Show 2020 at gmail.com or info at the two one show.com once again we want to say a special thank you to our cherished listener for spending time with us we hope to catch you in future episodes mm-hmm.